Let me say a word to, uh, I have a couple quick things to share with you before we pray. First of all, uh, we have uh, Julie Herbert as a member of Crosspoint, and David and uh, Susan, her uh, parents, we know. Uh, they have worshipped with us before, and Susan had a heart attack, or not real clear exactly what happened, but we think it was a heart attack on Wednesday, and fell and hit her head, and had some, what we thought initially was um, brain damage, and she may still have some things going on there, but we were... Uh, praying for her life. I mean, it was not a situation of whether she would have a broken arm heal or not. It was whether she would live or not. And uh, the report today is that this morning, just from a few minutes ago from David Herbert, is that she is opening her eyes and responding. And she's uh, even said, told David that she loved him. Is that right? Just some really pretty amazing, amazing things that has happened since since this happened on Wednesday. And God is good. We want to thank him for that. And I want to let y'all know that that was going on. Also, a word of encouragement to kids. See if I can have kids' attention. How many kids do we have in here? Raise your hand if you're a kid. Okay, good, good. You got your hand raised. Okay, all right, you can put your hands down now, okay? All right, here's the message to kids. If y'all squirm and wiggle and shake and make noises and fight and do everything that, you know, Annoy your parents for the next few minutes. Imagine it like this. This may be the worst illustration in the world. <laughs> but imagine what this would be. It would be like mom and dad trying to go to the grocery store to get the groceries that you could eat. Like mom and dad trying to head off to the grocery store to get some chow so you can sit down and eat. But through your efforts, you keep them from buying the goods. You can keep them from filling their basket with the thing that they need to feed you at home. So kids, realize, over the next few minutes, the worst thing you can do is be a distraction to your mom and dad. The worst thing you could possibly do. So if you need to keep yourself occupied, the best thing to do would be to listen and try and engage. I know it's hard. I used to be your age. I know it's a hard thing to believe. But I used to be your age. When I was your age, we had these kind of velvet-colored seats, velvet-finished pews. And if you wrote one way, your name, you could write your name... And then you could go back the opposite way and erase it. So I would spend the whole, and it was just 20 minutes sermon when I was growing up. <laughs> Sorry, kids. <laughs> Writing like a paragraph, you know, man. But just try and try and pray. If anything, pray for your parents that they get this because they need this nourishment for your sake too. So make, draw ugly pictures of me or whatever you need to do to just be quiet and uh, let mom and dad eat. Or by the, by the goods, by the wares. Let me pray. <clears throat> Lord, first of all, this morning I want to uh, pray for Terry Blankenship and for First Baptist Church uh, Greenville. Lord, I want to pray for Terry and his family, his marriage. I want to pray that that is his primary ministry, that he sees FBC and his many pastoral roles as all secondary to his ministry to his wife. And then, Lord, that he has a ministry toward the rest of his family that uh, is an expression of the time that he's spending in the Word together, that the Word is running him through, and it's finding purchase at home first. Lord, I pray also that it's gushing over onto a people and that First Baptist Church uh, Greenville is enjoying the truth, that they are growing in the faith, that they are enjoying the cross and marveling at grace. Lord, I pray, too, that, uh, that they won't have room to seat everybody that you bring to that fellowship. And we pray for your glory among that people, Lord. Pray that you will guard us and guard them from ever having a spirit of competition, but that we will cheer for each other for your name's sake. Lord, also this morning, we want to thank you for what you have done in Susan's mind and body these last few hours. And Lord, we are just amazed by your grace and your mercy in uh, healing her. Lord, we pray for a continued healing that you will just return her to full health so that she can worship you yet and enjoy you yet here with her family. Lord, we recognize that you are sovereign, that you're on your throne, and that you know all things, and we share the desire of our heart is that we have her for longer. Lord, also this morning I want to pray for kids. I pray that the kids will be engaged in these next few minutes and that they will be attentive. They'll see their mom and dad is getting the goods that they can bring home to them. And that you'll uh, give them a self-control that they may not have in, the, in and of themselves. And Lord, last, I want to pray for Bayat. 
Thank you for the sweet privilege of seeing this uh, video this morning and recognizing a young man that sacrificed everything to follow you and wants the world to know, publicly profess his faith in Christ. Lord, we pray that you will bring others to faith through Biot's ministry and through his gospel out loud, his life of um, following you, Lord. We just pray that he will uh, be used for your glory and that he will be spent for your namesake. Lord, we thank you so much for the ministry that's taking place over there. We recognize that, um, that you take and use feeble instruments for your glory. And we just appreciate the sweet privilege of in some way um, being able to pray and enjoy, pray for and enjoy Bayat's journey. Lord, we turn these next few minutes over to you. I pray for an attentiveness that's beyond me, that's beyond any one of us, where we can engage something that matters. I pray that this dangerous thing that I'm giving this people today will be used for your glory. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. I'm going to read first two passages. They're not passages I'm preaching from, but they're passages that I've preached from these last couple of Sundays. If you want to read with me, you can. First one is in Romans chapter 8. All I'm going to do is read them. I'm not going to preach from them again, (laughs) but I'm going to be referring to them over the course of the message this morning. So that's why I just want to take a moment just to read them. Romans chapter 8, and I'll give you uh, page numbers as I flip through these things that reconcile or that coincide with your pew, ba- or pew Bibles if you don't have your Bible today. Romans chapter 8, verses 12 and 13. So then, brothers, we are debtors. Paul's writing to the church at Rome. He says, we are debtors. We're debtors because back in verse 1, because there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because back in first, or in chapter 6, that this free gift of salvation has been given. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to live, or not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will die live okay turn to Galatians chapter 5 Galatians chapter 5 is page 974 we'll actually be on page 975 beginning in verse 16 Paul's writing to the church at Galatia and he says but I say walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you're led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evidence, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Paul says, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Look over in chapter 6, just across the column there, in verse 7. Paul says, do not be deceived. He's writing to a church. Writing to a bunch of people that have laminated cards in their pockets that have the little kids' names written on them that are often kids' point. Writing to a bunch of people that have a membership card or they're on a membership roll somewhere. And he's saying, do not be deceived. He's writing to a church. He says, God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. A couple of passages that I'll refer back to here and there that I wanted to read right up front before we climb in. I turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. This will be home base for us this morning. I'll give you kind of a bird's eye view too. We'll be in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Matthew chapter 6, and Matthew chapter 9. So if you have, you know, little doilies, 
For those of you who have doily colored bi- covered Bibles and all kind of little high-speed markers and stuff, you can stick a marker in each of those sections so you'll be able to turn there quickly. 1 Corinthians 9, 1 Corinthians 7, Matthew 9, and Matthew 6. Today I want to give you a strong tool to help you deal with the mortification of sin. I felt like after the last two Sundays on putting sin to death that I needed perspective and direction on how to proceed. A couple Sundays ago we considered for the first time really taking a good look at it that those who live by the passions and desires of the flesh will die. That that message, that verse, that passage was written to a bunch of people that sit in church pews. Symbolically. Written to a church. That floored me when I thought about that. That those who live according to the flesh will die. It left me convicted and alarmed, especially when we look through that Galatians chapter 5 vice list, and I'm looking at that going, I'm bits of anger. Mm-hmm. I, think, I don't think anybody in the room left unscathed when we really unpack that vice list. And those who live according to those things will die. I left convicted and alarmed for my sake and for yours. But then last week I found hope, man, good hope. Swallow hard, grab your partner sort of hope. That together we can be about this work of killing sin, the thing that's characteristic of the living. We can be about that work of killing sin by the Spirit together daily. I was ready to go back to John 14, but I just couldn't do it quite yet. I needed a little bit more. Something was kept me stuck to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. I tried to pry myself loose and get back over to John 14, but I couldn't do it. I couldn't make myself go there. So I trust that the Lord is bringing us to this passage to help us and to aim us in this venture of putting sin to death. So here we are in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. I'm going to begin in verse 19. Paul says, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law, not being outside of the law, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I've become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. Paul, just for context's sake, we're just hitting that paragraph before where we're really going to camp out. But I want you to see that Paul, first of all, he was free from all. He wasn't bound to these rituals of what he could eat or drink now. He was free and at liberty now to do what he wanted in regards to eat and drink and Practices of cleanliness, yet he is servant to all, so that he might win more. He says, I'm going to be all things to all people, so that by all means I might save some. And he's doing all these things for the sake of the gospel. And then he illustrates the point that he's making with this next paragraph that we're going to camp out in this morning. He says, do you not know, in verse 24, do you not know that in a race all runners compete, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. But I discipline my body and keep it under control. Lest after preaching to others, I myself should be DQ'd. I tried to pry myself from that paragraph, but I couldn't. Concepts that Paul has just explained in the previous paragraph, he's illustrating here with an image of an athlete. He encourages them to serve like an athlete that's in pursuit of the prize and imperishable wreath. Paul is exercising self-control in all things, like an athlete exercises self-control. Paul encourages them to not run without a direction or a purpose. He says, I run with direction and purpose, and I box with a target in mind. I'm just not beating the air wildly. But I'm actually after something. Paul, 
disciplines himself is the word we're really going to chew on this morning. He disciplines himself and keeps his body under control lest after having preached, he finds himself de-cued. Let me tell you something. De-cued means what you think it means. It doesn't just mean disqualified to preach that if for some reason he fails and some moral way that he'll be decued from preaching. Here's a passage where the same word is used to the same people, the Corinthians. Listen to this. Paul says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you fail to meet the test. That phrase, Failing to meet the test is exactly what he's saying over here. It's the same Greek word for being disqualified. He's speaking of salvation. Last week I said it. I wonder how many preachers are going to be in hell. And people ask me about my salvation and why sometimes I might say, hey man, I, th- I believe I'm saved. People say, how, can't, how come you're just not saying you're sure of that? Because if you're not sure, how can I be sure? I say, well... Kind of like they asked the old man. They said, hey, old man, you lived here all your life? And he says, no, not yet. (laughs) True believers are going to persevere. I haven't lived the rest of my life yet. Who knows what I'm capable of? I hope that he'll bind my heart like a fetter. Like grace will bind me to him. Man, that's what I'm begging for. I wonder how many preachers will be in hell. And I hope and pray that I'm not one of them finding myself decued because I've lived according to the flesh, not according to the Spirit. They may be thinking that I've preached it, meant that I've lived it. Or maybe you could think that since you've heard it, that you've lived it. He says, man, I discipline my body that I may not find myself disqualified. He is not afraid to leave them alarmed with what he's saying. Let's look just for the sake of context. Chapter breaks just really mess us up. So just ignore that next chapter break where it says 10 in your Bible. And just hear this is all part of the same conversation. He's saying, I discipline my body. I keep it under control. Lest after preaching to others, I find myself decued. I want you to know, brothers. There it is again. He's writing to a church. It would be like me talking to you. I want you to know, brothers, who have laminated cards in your pockets. I want you to know, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. He's speaking about the Exodus. All their fathers, all the Jewish fathers he's speaking to, were on the same journey through the wilderness together. They drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. But nevertheless, listen to this. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased. For they were overthrown in the wilderness. And Paul says, now I'm writing these things. These things are written. They take place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters if some, as some of them were, as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drank and rose up to play. You hear that? And an idolater. The summation of your life is, man, I sit down to eat, and then I rise, and then I go play. And then what time is dinner? What time is breakfast? Because that's all I am is eating and rising and playing. See, that's idolatry. He said, we must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents. We must not grumble... Any other grumblers in here? Any of you ever ashamed that you're sitting around ungrateful when you're thinking, man, I'm neck deep in blessing, and I just feel especially ungrateful today? Any other grumblers? We must not grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now, these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction, brothers. Those with laminated cards in your pockets. They were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. And then this verse 12, he says, Therefore, let anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Most of Greenville thinks that we stand. When I talk with generic Greenvilleite, hey man, are you a Christian? Oh yeah, man, me and God were square. 
Yeah, I prayed a prayer when I was a little kid, you know. I got no use for the bride. I got no use for church or being searchable or walking with the people of God. But me and God, we're square. I take heed. Or I, I, I think I stand and I'm thinking, man, you need to take heed, homie. I'm thinking, well, I'm preaching the word. I better take heed. And consider, am I living by the flesh? Preaching it, thinking I got it going on? If Paul, superhero apostle Paul, saying, I take heed lest I fall. The way he's taking heed is he's disciplining he's in his body. He is disciplining his body. He's not sitting around on flowery beds of ease saying, hey, me and God, we're square. Paul is writing to a church, and what he is saying in this passage is he's saying God will not be mocked. He's saying you can't be friends with the world and friends with God. He's saying you can't serve two masters. He's saying you can't live according to the flesh and live, for you'll die. All those things are captured right there. God will not be mocked. Even the preacher can find himself DQ'd, not having lived what he preached. Remember I said a couple weeks ago that it's not the matter of knowledge, but the manner of knowledge that marks the true believer? It's not how much knowledge you got but it's whether it's undoing you and running you through. Whether it's being lived out. Whether it's crucifying you and then renewing you the next morning. Whether it's wrecking you and leaving you different. The preacher can find himself having preached it and think because he preached it that he lived it. But he may find himself, well, I may find myself DQ'd because all the while, while I preach, I've been living according to the flesh. Take heed lest you think you stand, that you fall. God will not be mocked. He who lives according to the flesh will die. Those who practice such things, that vice list, and there's tons of vice lists in the New Testament, will not inherit the kingdom of God. Brothers, is this an inappropriate message for the church? Doesn't look like it. What Paul did, taking heed, is he disciplined his body like an athlete. We learned the last couple of weeks that our flesh has passions and desires, and while we can kill the works of those misdeeds or those works or misdeeds of those passions and desires, we cannot and won't kill the passions and desires themselves because they come with our flesh. This side of glory, those passions and desires will always be there. And if you think you got something taken care of, put a check in that block and watch how fast it rears its ugly head. Take heed lest you fall. You think you stand and got that all taken care of. This fallen body comes with those passions and desires. And this Paul, this apostle superhero, this guy disciplined his passion and desire riddled body. The word discipline is also translated in other passages and in the original language, from the original language, it's translated buffeted. It's a weird word. It's weird because this may be different from anything that we do. I like it. Not buffet. <laughs> Buffeted. It can also be translated pummeled. It can also be translated chastised or wore out or treated severely. His passion and desire filled body so that having preached, he would not be DQ'd. It can also be translated that he made his body a slave. This Paul, this super apostle, superhero apostle, is taking heed lest he fall. Brothers, he seems to be intentional about keeping his flesh in its place. And the illustration that he uses is just so perfect. The athlete that trains and prepares and runs for a prize... Think back to this summer when we saw the Olympics on TV day and night. And think about the athlete, this athlete who trains and prepares and runs for the prize. Dedicating years in pursuit of these medals. Think about the athlete he trains daily. Connect that to last week. He trains daily. He trains on bluebird days. He trains on rainy days, on cold days, on hot days. He trains even when his body says, no man, stay in bed this morning. Take a break. He trains on days when his friends are saying, Dude, let's go to the beach. 
says, no, man, i got to train. He trains on nights when his friends say, dude, let's go clubbing. He says, no, man, I'm in training. I'm in pursuit of the prize. He says no to heavy foods that, heavy foods that won't fuel him. He says no to activities that will slow him down so that he'll run strong and straight in the race. The athlete keeps the big picture in view, and he knows what it means to his race if he makes small compromises here and there. So he's focused. The athlete's attentive. The athlete is readying. I like all that. But let me point out that just saying no to a bunch of stuff does not make you an athlete. You can say no to carousing. You can say no to going to the beach. You can say no to fatty foods. You can say no to all those sort of things that the athlete says no to. And you can go to Dick's Sporting Goods and get you a nice high-speed Adidas outfit with some high-speed low-drag running shoes. You can go out there and hang out at the track and sit the bench. Saying no to a bunch of stuff does not make you the athlete. Not only does he avoid the bad things, but he's engaging the good things. He's about the good things, good foods, great workouts. He's about rest. His workouts are grueling and difficult, and they stretch him and push him where his legs burn and his side splits. He's not just sitting on the bench with his Adidas on, saying no to the carousers. He's out there getting some. He's out there running quarters. Anybody ever run track? He's out there running quarters and half miles. That's pain right there, boy. He's out there pushing the envelope. And all the while, while he runs or while he boxes, that's the other image he used, he says no to bad things and yes to good things. And he's keeping the prize in mind. That's the motive. He has a motive and desire that tempers every decision Every action, he is a beautiful illustration of the sin-killing, race-running, prize-pursuing saint. That's a great image. I've been wondering as I considered this 1 Corinthians 9 image of Paul, I've been wondering if we couldn't do with a little bit of Paul's buffeting. When I say we, I mean me. (laughs) I'm wondering if I couldn't do with some of that We have the same flesh that Paul had, complete with passions and desires, and we have the same race with the same prize. And I'm thinking that we, I, could do with some buffeting lest we, I, find ourselves, myself, DQ'd. DQ'd. Brothers, (laughs) it occurred to me, as I was thinking about this, trying to connect all these dots that in our context, in our environment it occurred to me that i really don't have to do without much ever man in our context think about it we can get nearly anything we need at walmart in five minutes and if we don't have the cash chances are we can get the credit to get what we need and usually we don't even have to worry with just the things we need we even if we want something we can get that too And if it's not at Walmart, you can get tires, pull-ups, light bulbs, and everything in between. But if it's not at Walmart, unbelievably, you can get it on the Internet and have it delivered to your doorstep the next day. Man, we don't have to do without much. Our culture and our context and our environment is perfect soil for the deeds of the flesh to flourish. How could we not live according to the flesh in this environment? Think about it. How could we not? My flesh gets pretty much anything it wants whenever it wants. We have this thing with my youngest that was true of my middle and my oldest kids also, but I'll pick on Daniel since he's not, he's not in here. I asked him if I could share this story. He said, yeah, that'd be funny. <laughs> Daniel periodically finds himself in a place where he needs what we call boot camp. You could call it no camp. We call it boot camp because we, we've done it for years with the big kids too. See, what happens is, Daniel, just think about Daniel. If his day is made up of juice requests, snack requests, we requests, play requests, video requests, and those requests are met, well, sure, Daniel, go for it. Or, yeah, Daniel, I'll get that for you. Then Daniel turns into a little monster. 
a little five-year-old monster. I don't know what he weighed, 30 pounds? An ungrateful, demanding, fussy, whiny monster who despite the flurry of activity around him, meeting his needs is quite miserable to be around. Then imagine what it's like to have to throw a no in there in a sea of yeses. That no is a smelly, unwelcome intruder. Daniel says this thing now, it's kind of in fun, but it's a great picture of what I'm talking about. Sometimes when I tell Daniel to do something, he'll look at me and say, How dare ye? <laughs> That's the tone of what I'm talking about. That's the character of what I'm, How dare ye throw a no in my sea of yeses? And Christy and I get to this place where we recognize that, man, our parenting slipped just a tad. That boy needs to hear some no. He needs to go to no camp. So the sea of yeses becomes a river of no's so that he remembers how to handle it when he doesn't get his way. How about that? So what kind of people might we be if we're surrounded by whatever fancies us at arm reach at any moment? And we can get it. We get our, our needs in a moment's notice. We can get our wants in a moment's notice. What kind of people can we be? We can be monsters terminally discontent like this little monster I'm describing. The antithesis, the exact opposite of the race-ready athlete. How could we possibly buffet in this environment? Paul's approach to his flesh, I think, can give us some help with our super-colossal, I love that word, Super colossal, self-indulged flesh that's fostered and fed by a culture of plenty. This concept of buffeting can help. Paul's buffeting. We go to some of these things that Paul tells us about himself. We can learn some things about the nature of Paul's buffeting. His buffeting involves scourgings, beatings with rods, being stoned, being imprisoned, being shipwrecked, being adrift at sea, holding on to that one last plank while the waves crash over you and you're freezing all night long till you get saved. His buffeting involved being hungry, thirsty, often without food, cold and exposed. And most of this, the reason he's able to say I'm buffeting myself, most of this, if not all of this, he walked into knowingly saying, bring it. I'll take it. We're in a very different context here in Greenville, wouldn't you agree? Scourgings, beatings with rods, shipwrecked, all for the sake of the gospel. Our version of this might be if Paul is shipwrecked on the way to plant a church, that we have a flat tire on the way to church. Isn't that sad? All these things he's talking about that are buffeting. We don't have access to. So how can we buffet? Here's one really good way that I have to admit to you is quite underdeveloped for me. I mean completely underdeveloped for me. We can buffet our bodies and make them our slaves here in safe Greenville by fasting. That's right. You're going, what is that? I'm going to find it here in a minute. Fasting. Fasting is all over our Bibles in both Testaments. And I have to admit to you that I've never preached on it, and I have never even heard a, a sermon or a lesson on it. It's all over our Bibles. Listen, here's a snapshot. Moses fasted for 40 days and 40 nights while he was on the mountain with God. Fasted. King David fasted when the son of his adulterous union with Bathsheba got sick. He fasted. Fasting for help, I guess. First one's fasting for fellowship. The next one, King Jehoshaphat proclaimed a fast throughout Judah for victory over the Moabites and Ammonites who were attacking them. Fasting for victory. The prophet Joel called for a fast to avert the judgment of God. The people of Nineveh fasted to avert the judgment of God. Queen Esther declared a three-day fast for all the Jews prior to, prior to risking her life and visiting the king uninvited. Fasting for favor. And you know what? This isn't some old ancient, dusty Old Testament thing. Because it shows up in our New Testaments too. The prophetess Anna, who proclaimed the birth of Jesus in the temple, fasted regularly. Luke chapter 2 tells us that she was worshiping and fasting with prayer day and night. Jesus fasted for 40 days and 40 nights while in the desert prior to beginning his earthly ministry. He's preparing for his ministry. Fasting. Fasting. 
Now, I told you we were going to Matthew. Turn to Matthew chapter 6. Find out if this is just a dusty old Old Testament practice like sacrificing lambs and goats. Matthew chapter 6 is on page 811 of your pew Bible. Verse 16. This is in the Sermon on the Mount. It's a famous sermon where Jesus just exposes some incredible things. And here in verse 16 of chapter 6, he says, And when you fast, he doesn't say if you fast. He says, And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward, but when you fast... Anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you? This thing that's completely underdeveloped for me, that I thought was this dusty Old Testament thing that's not appropriate for New Testament saints and believers? This side of the cross, I'm thinking, man, he doesn't say if you fast. Or for when we used to fast, he says, when you fast. He says it twice. And then he said, the beauty is there's a reward at the end of it, if you do it rightly. Turn over a few pages to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9, verse 14. It says, then the disciples of John came to him saying, why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? I've always used this passage as a reason to not do this. (laughs) It's such an unpopular thing. Are you kidding me, man? I love food. And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and they will fast. Future tense? They will fast fast all this airtime on fasting and yet it's completely underdeveloped for me and probably completely underdeveloped for most of us and i want to suggest to you that a bunch of flesh indulging saints like me and you potentially could learn to sow to the spirit and to put to death the deeds of the flesh by learning what this is and how to do it i want to define it for you now i told you i was going to define it here's fasting defined biblically take it in the full sweep Here's fasting defined. Fasting is the practice of doing without a good thing. It's not avoiding sin. It's the practice of doing without a good thing for the purpose of enjoying a great thing. That's what fasting is. Doing without a good thing for the purpose of enjoying a great thing. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. While you're turning there, I'll share with you just a few examples of fasting before I look here and before we look in 1 Corinthians 7. Here's a few examples of fasting. You can fast with food. You may fast for, you know, meals over the course of a day, or you may fast from certain types of food. You may fast from leisure. Imagine that. You can fast from entertainment. Lost. You can do that. You may fast from recreation. You may fast from hobbies. And here, let me show you another kind of fast here in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, starting in verse 1. Paul says, Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman, with a woman. but because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights, and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another. And the next phrase. Except perhaps by agreement. For a limited time that you may devote yourselves to prayer. But then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. This is a great picture of fasting even in the area of a good thing like sex within marriage. 
But it's fasting with a purpose. And here's the beautiful impact of buffeting or fasting. That if it's directed to a time of prayer, it can be a sweet time of devotion. It's denying yourself with a purpose, with a prize, with a reward in mind. You remember I said in the passage in the, in the, in the Sermon on the Mount that there's a prize or a reward? The reward is fellowship. The reward is being able to enjoy a dedicated time with God, saying no to a good thing for a while so that you can enjoy a great thing for a while. Undistracted. And you've got to recognize that prayer goes with it. Fasting from this without prayer defeats the whole purpose. A practice of fasting could help in teaching our body what a no sounds like so that we're not colossal flesh-feeding monsters. Now, for the important, subtle nuance of fasting and buffeting. I've been talking to people all week, sharing with them this complicated thought, this realization that what I'm doing today in preaching on fasting, I feel like I'm giving everybody a loaded weapon, like a rifle. And a loaded weapon is cool. I mean, you may not think like this, but I do because I eat squirrels and deer and rabbits and stuff like that. So when I'm thinking somebody's giving me a loaded weapon, I'm thinking dinner. Handing you a loaded weapon is a good thing because you can actually go get some dinner. But the problem is, handing somebody a loaded weapon, you could also end up shooting yourself or your neighbor. And I feel like in even addressing this thing about fasting, I feel like I'm giving you a loaded weapon because it's so easy to get this wrong. In fact, most if not every pagan religion has a pretty serious commitment to fasting. I was in Jordan this late fall where they were, had Ramadan going on. And man, everybody's walking around mad all day long because they're fasting. And then as soon as prayer is on in the evening, man, it's on. We were sitting in a restaurant where we're sitting over a plate of food with a whole restaurant full of people. And then when prayer call to prayer goes, boy, it's the feed is on. The focus in that is just don't eat or drink during the day. Every, I think every probably pagan religion has some commitment to this thing because it's so easy to get wrong, which is maybe why it's underdeveloped, undertaught, and underpracticed. I want to give you some pictures of what this might look like to shoot your neighbor first. How could you shoot your neighbor with this good thing would be to impose your fast or buffeting on someone else. Hey man, I'm giving up TV. When are you going to cut your cable off? <laughs> hey, I'm fasting today. I fast on Tuesdays. When do you fast? Can you hear it? It's not so obvious. But it takes the same sort of approach it hits you the same way i'm fasting from leisure why don't you get off your backside and do something active with me that's shooting your neighbor now here's what shooting yourself might look like with this good thing this good weapon you could shoot yourself in a couple of different ways shooting yourself would be to set out to fast for the purpose of self-righteousness i want you to see what this looks like turn to luke chapter 18 it's important that you see what this looks like. It's like safety training with a loaded weapon today. Luke chapter 18, page 877 of your pew Bible. It says, He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Man, that's the danger with this weapon. It says, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this old tax collector over there. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. Check me out. Aren't you glad you got me on the team, God? 
But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went to his house justified rather than the other who fasted twice a week with all the wrong motives. That's how you can shoot yourself in this thing. That approach has the character of doing this as an earner rather than a debtor. Remember what we talked about in Romans chapter 12 and 13? Chapter 8, 12 and 13? We're doing this as debtors, not earners. You cannot earn God's favor. Fasting or buffeting, in this case, is done to please God or to earn His favor. And when you approach God trying to earn His favor, then what you're saying is that the cross didn't already do that. What a wicked thing. That's what I'm saying. You can shoot yourself with this. A good thing. Misunderstanding it, man, you just whack yourself. This, I, I'm going to tell you what, too. This will make for a roller coaster of faith, and your spiritual well being will be based from day to day on how you did with your fast that day. Who's at the center of that? You are. based on how you did with your fast instead of how marvelous and how amazing the cross was and how our finished work uh, the cross was and how our Christ is seated at the right hand, done. Or shooting yourself might be the practice of asceticism. I think the reason this isn't dealt with is because of this fear of asceticism. You can look the word up. Basically, asceticists are just about the practice of denying themselves stuff all the time, but it's all about to try and earn the next spiritual high. And you're at the center of that too. Denying yourself just so you can reach a new spiritual high. You're at the center of this, and you will profit nothing from this. This is so easy to get wrong. It scares me to death. It scares me to death to preach it. But I'm hoping that maybe you listen to these sermons a few times. Maybe we can talk about it. I want to help you aim that rifle in the correct direction. In the right direction. For dinner. Here's what it looks like. Here's what the rifle aimed rightly looks like. Go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Going back to that same passage we just read about this husband and wife. Here's the motive of this work, of fasting or buffeting. We just read this passage. I'm going to read it again because I want it to be fresh as I remind you of this. Paul says, Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, he says, It's good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman, but because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife, and each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights, and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time, that you may devote yourselves to prayer. But then come together again, so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Now here's the motive of this fasting and buffeting thing. If it's handled rightly, here's the rifle pointed in the correct direction, using this as an illustration. God's design for sex is that a married man and woman are to enjoy each other physically. That's true. As your heart races through the Song of Solomon, know that God designed hot, passionate, serious sex for marriage. It's a good thing. God provided pleasure in this relationship. And He didn't do this just for the purpose of making babies. And He also didn't do this just for the purpose of not sinning elsewhere. If sex in marriage was just made to keep you from sinning, then that's a pretty weak reason. It was made for a man and woman to enjoy the union of marriage. To mishandle buffeting, to mishandle fasting, would be like a man saying to his wife, Hey honey, I need to be with you tonight because I don't want to be checking out the ladies at the office tomorrow. How would that make you feel, ladies? Cherished? 
You just like a band-aid. If that's all this is, man, it's going to fall flat on its face. If you're just about the work of fasting or buffeting for the purpose of saying no to sin, you're missing it. You're missing it. Is there a product of the husband and wife being together? A beautiful byproduct of them being together? Yes. Homeboy has resistance against scoping out the ladies on Monday because they were together Sunday night. Absolutely. There's a protection in that. But is that the purpose of their union? No. That's not why they come together. They are to be together to enjoy God's perfect design for marriage and oneness. Their physical union is an image bearer of the joy that we'll experience in the presence of our groom, Jesus. That's the motive of this. We don't fast to kill sin. We fast to enjoy the greatness of God. We say no to a good thing so that we can, without distraction, enjoy a great thing. And there's a beautiful byproduct that we have greater strength than saying no to a bad thing. You've got to understand the motive. If you get the motive wrong, then it's the, the irony is you're trying to defeat sin and you're actually sinning. That's the irony. This can be such a good thing if it's pointed in the right direction. This motive is the dinner that I'm hoping to give you with this rifle. That's the well-aimed round of fellowship with the living God. That's the trajectory of intentional enjoyment of the great by denying, even for a time, yourself the good with the sweet byproduct of a special strength in putting to death the deeds of the flesh. I feel like this message this morning is so important because of the last three sermons, man. Between the last two and the one today, we can just be about, hey, man, you killing some sin today? Yeah, man. I got like eight sin I killed today. Boy, it was awesome. <laughs> What's on for tomorrow? I mean, I got seven or eight more I'm after tomorrow. This godless pursuit is so dangerous. It's such a good thing, but it can be completely godless. I've been burdened as we've studied this that we could get it wrong, and I don't want us to get it wrong. I don't want us to miss the motive. When I was 14, I took uh, driving lessons from my coach. When I was 14, this would have been uh, 1981 or something like that. 1981, you know, this is a, a car used for driver instruction, so it's going to be big. And it was a big Buick, it was a big blue Buick that had two doors, but it had a back seat. And it had those doors that were so big and long that when you open them, like it would open up into the whole other lane. And when it shut, you know, it just like oh, it took about 30 seconds for it to swing closed. And this Buick was big, man, it was wide. And I'm learning how to drive on Louisiana highways, country roads, which are not wide. Little bitty narrow roads. And the thing that's interesting about Louisiana roads is that they're just not these average, ordinary ditches right next to you. It's like a swamp. I grew up in Bob F. Swamp. And the country roads around Bob F. Swamp, man, you run off the road and you're swimming with the water moccasins, boy. You got a crawfish coming out of your ear. I mean, staying out of those ditches is important. And the fact that these are narrow roads, I'm driving a car that's bigger than a lane. And I'm watching that yellow line, and I'm watching Cooter coming down from the other direction in his blue pickup with the primer color door. And man, I'm trying, to, I'm trying to avoid that. I'm trying to avoid the ditch. And I'm all over the place. And it's not until I figure out that I need to be mindful of those things, but I've got to focus on where I'm going before I level out. And when I focus on the prize and I focus on the reward of being with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords and having a dedicated time enjoying the great, then there's a beautiful byproduct that I avoid the ditches. Then I avoid the yellow line. But if all we are about as Christians is saying no to stuff, then we're like that athlete that's sitting out there on the track on the bench wearing his Adidas and his high-speed low-drag Air Jordans 
and aren't about the work and aren't on the journey. Being a Christian is more than just saying no to bad things or avoiding the ditches or the yellow line. It's about enjoying the grand prize, an amazing God worth dedicating time to. Let me pray. Lord, I pray that you will guard me and guard this people from getting this wrong. I am so fearful of even talking about something that we can do, knowing how much we love to be told what to do. The next question would lead to how often and how long. Lord, I pray that the spirit of this engagement of buffeting and fasting the spirit is rightly exposed this morning i pray that it's rightly caught and that you will guard me and guard this people from just thinking that we can go get some checks in the block and go do our religious duties to earn our salvation but lord that as a people fearfully and humbly we can be intentional about putting a good thing aside for a time to enjoy a great thing, and that through that that you make us stronger with the bad things. Lord, I pray that you will just guard us and keep us from doing this as anything other than debtors, amazed by grace, enjoying the finished work of the cross. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Have a seat just for a moment. I want to encourage you, if you have questions about what you've heard this morning and uh, you need to talk about that, then please email me or call me or talk to the elders. Or um, I'm accountable for what I say up here this morning, every morning. I'm accountable for what I teach, and I encourage you to search the Scriptures. And if it's true, then obey it. If it's not, man, confront me, please. I beg you. I want to take such great care in engaging things like this, all things. Especially this weapon. Man, what a great but dangerous weapon. I encourage you to just consider what it might look like. It might look like saying, you know, this month I'm not going to watch this TV show. And instead, it's not just saying no to something. Instead, during this time, I'm going to read my Bible and pray with my spouse. Or it might look like saying no to something. But please, if it's not replaced with prayer and pursuit and enjoyment, then I don't know what it is. It's sin. So I encourage you to consider what that might look like. Next week, we're going to be taking the Lord's Supper together on Sunday morning. Something else is going to be happening next week is Jeff Simmons and his family will be in uh, from Jordan. It's a family that uh, are going to, in many ways, be related to Crosspoint like the Hucks are, uh, a family that we are walking with on the other side of the world, a missionary family that's going to become part of this church officially. We'll present them for membership next week. We've been walking with them for years through distance, well, every time Jeff is here, he, he engages us, but he's listening to sermons online. I mean, they're walking with us through, um, despite the distance, pretty amazing. And they want to walk with us people. So they're going to be here next Sunday. He's going to be baptizing his daughter. We'll be taking the Lord's Supper together. And it'll be a great time to get to know them. They're, we're bringing them back from Jordan for this purpose. Realize whenever someone stands up here and we're presenting them for membership, that's a big deal. And it's worth bringing someone for $8,000 or whatever it cost us to have a family here for three weeks so you can get to know them so they can get to know you and so they can stand before you and say we stand with you guys in, in uh, agreement and worship and wonder so they'll be here next week doing that also uh, just to make a, just make it make a note on your calendar February 1st we're going to have our evening or in that evening we're going to have our annual membership meeting uh, we do that annually once a year that's why it's called that and um, it's, but it's for membership. So if you're not a member and you're considering that or considering becoming a member, I don't. Nobody wants to rush you, but just know that you're not invited to that. It's not exclusive, um, but it, it's for family. It's family who's committed to be searchable and walk with each other to sit around the table together and to look at the last year and to look toward the next year. So please understand that it's not trying to be exclusive. It's just for the family to sit together and talk about family matters for for one evening it's, at least. Uh, and then the last thing is uh, tonight at uh, 5 p.m., we're going to do something with the men 
And I want to kind of give some parameters to this. 15 years or older. You know, if there's just some kind of unique situation where somebody's 14 or something and needs to go. But I think it'd be appropriate for 15 years or older. Young men and then men. um, We're going to have a time together called Wrangler Night. It's my name. I made up and I like it. So if you don't like it, I'm sorry. (laughs) It is what it is. So Wrangler Night's at 5 p.m. out at the Ots. And um, I think we may have a map online or we could put a map online or something like that if you don't know how to get to the Ots. But you go past their house. You don't pull in the driveway because there's a baby shower going on. You don't want to get things mixed up. (laughs) Trust me. But you go down to the second gate, and we're going out to a campfire in the woods. And uh, we're going to sit around, bring bring your Bible, and bring a folding chair for those men that are 15 years and older. And that's not just for membership. So the annual membership thing was just membership. So if you're visiting and you kind of want to get to know what we're about and you're a man... You're welcome. So, ladies, you're not allowed. Sorry. So, y'all stand and I'll dismiss you. Lord, I pray that you will just uh, guard us from mishandling what we've engaged today. Lord, I pray as just a humble, lowly people that we can just consider some good things that we may put aside so that we can enjoy the great thing. And that you'll just guard our hearts in this. That we'll not shoot each other or shoot ourselves. But that we'll engage you in a way that maybe we haven't before. And Lord, we're thankful that a byproduct of that pursuit may be that we have a resistance to sin that we didn't have before. And uh, we thank you for your design, Lord. Pray that you will bind us to it. Tie us like a fetter to it, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thanks.